you are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Lift your eyes up, let your eyes rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the beast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up, when famine claims millions, when justice... Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parkes, with New Abolitionist and Actionist Johanna Nalaya, and Black Talk Media Project founder Scott Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who helped combat it. Today is December 30th, 2015 our last program of the year. Our stories include The Intercept is reporting that a geo group, private prison and slaver senior executive assured investment bankers that the so-called criminal justice reforms floating around Congress will do absolutely nothing to stop them from profiting off of 21st century slavery. So feel free to continue investing. While the DNC faces charges from the Sanders campaign, of trying to give an advantage to Hillary Clinton. The current DNC head, U.S. Rep. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, a former Clinton advisor in her last campaign for president, has another reason to favor Clinton. In 2011, she expressed support for immigration detention facilities run by the world's largest private prison and slaver, ETA. Regarding the Clintons, people like to point to the Clinton administration about how prosperous the USA was under his economic policies. However, that what is not discussed is how private prison slavery contributed to that so-called prosperity. Let's look back at how California's private factories, prison factories alone, produced $150 million in sales annually during the Clinton regime. Speaking of California, it has become the first state in the nation to ban grand jury hearings involving police shootings and excessive force cases. Prosecutors will now be responsible for deciding whether or not to press criminal charges against law enforcement officers. While this is being seen as reform victory, we say not so fast. What kind of difference would that have made in the case involving cops killing Tamir Rice in Cleveland? As you have noted, when states are standing out, we'll stop our alphabetical order of examining them and go directly to said offenders. Today, the offender is of the highest order. Ohio is furthest. This week's rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Clarence Moses L., who was sentenced to 48 years in prison after a woman says she dreamed he was the man who raped and beat her in the dark. He uh, was granted a new trial after spending 28 years in prison and released this month. Our abolitionist and profile tonight is John Rankin, 1793 to 1886 a white southerner by birth, 
was active in the original burst of anti-slavery sentiment from the American Revolution and Second Great Awakening. When Henry Ward Beecher was asked after the end of the Civil War, who abolished slavery? He answered, Reverend John Rankin and his son. Expect all of that more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. You can find archive podcasts at newabolitionistradio.blogspot.com and we invite you to join the conversation by calling us at 1641-715-3660, extension 54903-2. Just press star 6 and 1 to queue up from the conference line. Once again, I'm Max Parker. What's happening, Scotty? Is your honor with us too? Um, he's saying that the call-in button, first of all, greetings to you, Max. Greetings to the listeners. Uh, he's saying that the uh, conference call uh, web flash button isn't working for him. Um, so I'm talking to him right now uh, via our planning uh, group and uh, trying to get him uh, connected. So um, I'm expecting him to call us at any time, and I'm sure, you know, that'll be shortly. Man, I, I was uh, I was pretty upset after hearing the uh, Tamir Rice ruling. Not because I was surprised. I expected that. I mean, I've seen what happened with the Walmart case with John Crawford. Uh, I've seen what happened in Ohio with the case where the cops jumped out of someone's car, fired 137 bullets at a couple of unarmed uh, people in the car. So, you know, to see, to know that they got off as well, it mm-hmm. would just be a pattern that they formed. But the way that he did it by victim blaming this 12 year old boy, it just, oh, it just pissed me off to no end, which is why we ended up, uh, with Ohio is Ferguson tonight, man, to expose these people for what they've been doing. It's a very scary place. I was very surprised at the things that I found out about Ohio. Yeah, um, that, that whole thing, man, but it's just a replay. I was, I was pissed off yesterday as well, man. I'm still pissed off today. But I was venting on Black Talk Radio News yesterday, man, because, you know, this is a pattern in practice. And why y'all came up with America is Ferguson because this happens. I mean, going I took I even played a clip going all the way back to John Crawford, the third, the same thing. The prosecutor playing defense attorney misusing the uh, grand jury uh, proceedings to have a secret trial which was really to get these killer cops off. Um, I think we got Johanna joining us now. Johanna, do we have you, bro? All right, you sound terrible, uh, Johanna. Yeah, I couldn't hear a word. All right, you sound better now. No, I can't hear. Yeah, so I couldn't hear you too well either. Peace, peace. Can y'all hear me? Yeah, yeah sound I like you unmuted you yourself or something. <laughs> Okay, yeah. <laughs> operator Peace, error. Brothers, good to be here. To be hey, here. That's what we used right, to, that's right. what we used to call in the military operator error. <laughs> I'm here. I hear you already talking about what's on everybody's mind though. Go ahead. Yeah, but we gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say those comments for when we come to that story. That's okay. gonna be our, our last story and how we also are gonna tie that in to the quote unquote reform legislation they just passed in California. Yeah, that was pretty interesting, too. Uh, got a, we had a lot of stories to choose from, about a dozen of them for today's uh, airing, and we had to narrow it down to just four, man. But the stuff on the cutting room floor is pretty incredible. 
you can find all of it on New Abolitionist Radio's Facebook page. Make sure you follow us in real time so you can look at the story that we're reporting on this. And you can check out the things that we weren't able to report here on air by looking at the links there. And also, um, join us if you want to become an abolitionist before I say join us, cause we don't want, if you're not an abolitionist in this 21st century, um, we don't need you to join the group. You know what I'm saying? We want only abolitionists to join the group, move to abolish 21st century slavery. What does it take to become an abolitionist? Well, just recognize that the United States of America has never abolished slavery and that they put a loophole in the 13th Amendment and what people today are calling mass incarceration is actually a continuation of slavery. So that's all it takes to be, and then tell people, tell people that slavery is still being practiced and, you know, do whatever you can where you are using whatever talents, whatever resources you have to spread the abolitionist uh, message. And that's all it takes to be an abolitionist. That's it. That's it. You just got to change your mind. This is not an error in judgment. It's not mass incarceration. It's not policing for profit. It's not over-policing. It's none of these things and all of those things. It falls under the umbrella of an ancient demon called slavery. And with that exception clause in the uh, late 1800s, it was allowed to continue, going directly to convict leasing in 1866. And we see the remnants of that here today with Unicorn, a $900 million a year industry based solely on prison slave labor. And, it's on, and Unicor is a corporation. I don't know. Maybe we should call it a subsidiary of the corporation, USA Inc. Um, what, what I'm saying in plain language is the federal government started a corporation. It's called Unicor. If you go to the website, you can see all the services and products being provided by prison slave labor. Right, and that's just Unicorn. There are many more industries using prison slave labor today. Uh, as many as a million prisoners are working for free or for nothing or pennies on the dollar or maybe just the right not to be abused that night. Or yeah, slave wages. Or yeah, slave wages. That's where, see, a lot slave of people wages. think slave wages mean minimum wage or, you know, I can't afford to live off of, you know, $7 an hour. That's not where the term slave wages come from. It comes from the fact that some of these evil enslavers just to kind of, what's the proper word I'm looking for, guys, to uh, uh, pacify? No, no, no. To pacify them? Because remember, one of the abolitionists we reported on, she was a skilled dressmaker. And her enslaver would share some of the profits of the dress mm -hmm. with her. And then she saved up her money and then was able to purchase her freedom. You know, you know, like right. blacksmithing. You had a number because like most of those West Africans that was brought over here, they were skilled in metalworking and whatnot. And they became blacksmiths. And this is highly skilled labor during that time. And so, again, to pacify them and, and make them feel not so much like a enslaved African, I guess, you know, they, they paid them a little small wage and whatnot. Remember, we talked about, um, um, remember, um, man, his, his, his name escapes me right now, uh, that helped found Emmanuel, uh, church down there in Charleston. Uh, what was his name that led the rebellion? Denmark Vesey. Yeah, Denmark Vesey, you know, he won his freedom in a lottery. 
And, and so where did he get the money from to play the lottery to purchase his freedom? So um, some of the enslaved people were paid a wage and it was called a slave wage. And that's what they're being paid in the prisons today. Prisons right. and, and jails. Uh, although that is a terrible situation, which uh, is a blatant uh, example of how slavery continues to exist today. In modern America, they don't necessarily need you to work. Just possessing your body right. is how they get much of their income. Uh, very much like stock on a shelf. They get paid for every single person that they incarcerate and keep in these cells, which is the reason why we have the largest prison population in the history of the entire world. Yeah, yeah, because see, when there is some kind of disaster like what we saw in the Gulf of Mexico affecting those Gulf states, Oh, they'll just send them out there with no protective, you know, uh, uh, clothing or whatnot and have them cleaning up the beaches, you know. So, you know, that's just labor on tap that they got on standby for natural disasters or whatnot. In Boston, when they had record snowfall, pulled the, pulled the slaves, the convicted uh, slaves, kidnapped and convicted individuals, pulled them out on the streets of Boston for jobs that they were out, they were advertising as being uh, 15 to $20 an hour for clearing the streets and clearing the, the subway tunnel access for they, you know, when they had the blizzard snow and they just took the convicts, you know, right on out and, and slave labor there. We also know California and uh, state attorney Kamala Harris, her office uh, actually in court defending the state's right to continue to, uh -huh. to use the, the slave labor to fight the forest fires up throughout the state of California. So, yeah, this goes on uh, from coast to coast. What did she say? Uh, she said that we can't stop doing this because if we do, it will cost the state of California upwards of a billion dollars in mm -hmm. wages. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Saying we can't deplete our cheap labor. This was argued in court. We reported this on New Abolitionist Radio as we have reported yep. many of things over the years. Indeed. Well, before we get into our first story, I do want to uh, uh, put out a reminder that Brother Joseph, who called in last week, is going to call, call in later on this evening and give us a, a short uh, uh, explanation of what it is he's trying to accomplish and how we can help him. Uh, I think this brother is taking an axe to the whole tree. <laughs> he's trying to chop it all down in one fell swoop, right on. and it's pretty intense conversation, so I'm looking forward to hearing from him later on this evening. Yeah, uh, and, and let me say this, Max. Um, we like we tell you there are many 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 stories that don't even make you know the program that like Max and Johanna said you know we post them either the New Abolitionist Radio's Facebook page or we post them to move to abolish 21st century slavery where other people are are posting as well but we try to cut back on some of the of the stories so that we can try to get you the listener more involved so don't be shy maybe you witness something maybe you witness a horrible act of, of slavery or brutality connected to slavery and you want to share your 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 quick you know story or report with us so you know we we don't normally get a lot of calls or anything like that even though we have a lot of people that tune in um, or we wouldn't be doing this program every week if nobody was listening. But again, we want to try to give other people out there, maybe you just got out of slavery, you know what I'm saying? And you just want to call in and share your story. So you can do that 
um, towards the end of the program, we're going to try to reserve enough time for people to be able to do that. Or if during a story we're reporting, if you want to quick make a quick comment, then you know just uh, call us on the conference line, or you can call us on the studio line, which is seven zero four nine five one five zero three zero. Guys, there you go. Well, uh, the first story coming up today is going to be the message that went out from the uh, private prison companies where they basically said, you know, all of this rhetoric y'all are talking about, about reform and about reducing the prison population is meaningless <laughs> to us. We are going to keep clocking dollars and y'all can just forget all about that and keep investing because we are bullish right now. We are going to win. That's basically what they're saying. This is a story that came out of The Intercept. And uh, it's a pretty long story, so I'm going to just start reading some of the quotes from it, all right? You can check it out on New Abolitionist Radio in its entirety. But uh, basically said, March told attendees at the conference that they were at for private prisons that he was getting questions about drug offenses, sentencing guidelines. An issue, he noted, had been raised by Hillary Clinton on the campaign trail. I've got to be honest with you, there's very few people I know is anybody who's in prison for smoking marijuana. It doesn't exist. Guys, that's not why people are in prison. Now, this is what the prison enslavers are saying. Rather than reducing incarceration rates, March told his audience that drug reform could have the opposite effect by increasing prison terms. Much, uh, most drug-related sentences, he asserted, are the results of plea deals stemming from violent crimes. So there isn't an alternative screening arrangement, the only outcome the Senate faced is for the violent crime, which carries long for this section. Marge argues that crime is inherent in America because of affluence. No one is committing a lot of crime in poor countries because, well, who are you going to steal from? Marge continues. He also claims that mandatory minimum sentences have not greatly impacted the overall incarceration rate is that growth in mandatory sentencing has been just as substantial as non-mandatory sentences. Rather, there's just been a lot more crime, March said. How much came to this conclusion is unclear. The GO group did not respond to the intercept's request for the sourcing of its claim. Well, there's a lot more to it. As I said, I won't read the whole thing. I'm giving you the gist just so that we understand what they're saying. He's talking out of the time part, and we were, you know, we didn't have family listening out to saying something else. There is no logic behind anything he's saying. It's all I think and I feel, or I'm lying anyway, so it doesn't matter. Just keep investing. These people are out of their damn mind. But there are listeners out there who are going to keep on investing in these private prisons and keep driving slavery with their own 401k or our retirement plans, which is basic investment program. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, let me... Information from, as they said, it makes no damn sense at all. There's more crime. Crime has reduced over 25% in the past decade. Yeah. Um, let me just inform the listeners, if Max sound a little funny and a little distance, um, as we talked about last week, he's dealing with some uh, issues. Uh, y'all know he just, uh, his family just suffered a flood uh, in South Carolina, and he's out in the middle of nowhere with bad reception and whatnot, and he's trying to get those uh, issues uh, 
resolved and whatnot. So, Max, um, if you could just make sure that you're speaking directly into the receiver, that'll make it better. But I, I, I echo your comments. But I wouldn't say that these people are out of their minds. I would say they know exactly what they're doing, man. They know what they're doing. And But I have to say, now I tried to find the article. I know I shared it, but it was probably weeks ago, so I can't even dig to find it on New Abolitionist Radio's Facebook page. But I do recall seeing a article where people were saying that that so-called reform legislation, criminal justice reform legislation, actually uh, puts in new mandatory minimums because remember the whole talking point is we need to get rid of these mandatory minimums and we need to give judges more discretion well even when judges have discretion we see that they get kickbacks under the table to send little kids to the detention facility you know in the, like we saw in pennsylvania the kids for cash scheme and whatnot and and so this is probably why he knows what we know. He he telling the investment bankers what we what these other activists are are saying that this so-called criminal justice reform is a bunch of bull crap and, and, and that right. while it fixes some things, it creates other problems, you know. So um, what have you heard uh, about this, uh, Johanna? Well, I remember the same thing like what you all are talking about. Of course, we all. <clears throat> stay in pretty close contact, uh, especially on these kind of issues throughout the course of the week and then doing the program week to week. So I remember, you know, covering this, this same perspective, uh, experts in, you know, whether they're acknowledged abolitionists or, you know, different types of, uh, uh, reform or, or, uh, change organizations that, that wrote all sorts of stories and articles and editorials that were speaking on, you know, how this whole, this push was more about PR than about actually uh, creating relief for people that are that are suffering, you know, about creating relief for communities that have been generationally, you know, uh, uh, victimized and destroyed. You know, this is this is a, a life that is completely separate from what the masses, you know, experience when you live in these areas that are targeted and hyper policed and over over policed and terrorized by these slave catchers. So there was quite a few stories that came out. They were already saying that and saying that the, that it was weak legislation, and yeah, kind of like Obama going from uh, 100 to one uh, on crack sentencing uh, a couple years ago, taking it down to 18 to one. Now, mind you, there has never been any scientific report, evidence, proof, facts ever even alleged. Nobody even tried to go out and just say it and, and support it with with smoke and mirrors. Nobody had to say that there was a difference between crack and powder cocaine. It was accepted that even if there wasn't a difference, Negroes was using crack and we can't have niggas out here acting crazy. So what we're going to do is give black folks a hundred years over the one year we would give to the traditionally yeah. white people use powder cocaine. He reduced that to 18 to one. Same thing with the sentencing for like the three strikes from life sentence to a min minimum mandatory of 10 years. And these could all be relatively minor in quality of life, as they call them, infractions, like we reported on the brother from Louisiana, who over the course of his life, when he was 16 or 17, was homeless and drug addicted and had gotten a conviction. Then when he was in his 30s, had gotten some kind of a conviction on another drug-related possession of marijuana or something crazy. When he's 45, 50 years old, still homeless, 
still nobody has found a system, found a program to help him. Uh, he can get on his feet to do anything. This man has got uh, chronic mental illness issues, schizophrenia. I, th I think they had said he had been diagnosed at some point. No kind of program to help him get any kind of help. And he's still on the streets and homeless, and he gets busted again. Possession of marijuana, third strike, life sentence. So I will remind folks that there's uh, nearly 400,000 mentally ill people in prisons in America and less than 40,000 people in mental health facilities state to state around the country. So that should give you an idea of what this sentencing and what this victimization is really targeted towards. And, uh, and another thing, you know, um, the drug war needs to be ended. Now, I think it was Max. It could have been you, Johanna. Y'all shared a story today on New Abolitionist Radio that this Pennsylvania, it's in Pennsylvania, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the police unions have are fighting uh, having cops drug tested, all right? That was posted on Film and Cops, and, and then they had a link to the original yeah, source. Yeah, they called it unconstitutional. Exactly. They called it unconstitutional, and they're right. It is unconstitutional. You had to have a constitutional amendment to outlaw alcohol, the sale and manufacture of alcohol in this country. When prohibition was over, they had to repeal. I think it might have been the 19th Amendment. I, I could be wrong on, on the number of the amendment, but they had to repeal that. This is something that I had picked up from um, law enforcement against prohibition who want all drugs legalized and whatnot. And saying that it's unconstitutional, that you shouldn't be tell, you shouldn't have that kind of power over another individual's body to tell them what they can and cannot put into their bodies. Not that you want people using drugs, but just that they have a free will and have a choice, you know. And and and, and so, but the very fact that these slave catchers will want to call something in court filings, right, as they fight fight this. To call something unconstitutional that they are all out there prosecuting other people. You know what I'm saying? Out there targeting people for what they have acknowledged is unconstitutional laws. They don't want to submit the drug test, but they want to arrest people for having drugs. So, again, man, I hate the dang gone police. You know what I'm saying? And I'm going to keep saying it. I hate the police. They are terrorists. They are terrorists, and we wouldn't have modern-day slavery without these slave catchers out there on the front lines, out there scooping people up over unconstitutional, anti-freedom, anti-liberty laws. All of that money right. that's being poured into prisons and into the pockets of people like George Zoli and the board members of the CCA and, and all of these people, man— why not put, if you really care about people's health due to drugs, then why ain't you investing all that money in drug treatment? And not to mention the fact that we have reported, you know, what, what the family of uh, Kentucky, uh, what's his name, Mitch McConnell, uh, his, his in-laws owned that shipping company, and one of them ships got caught in Columbia, loaded down with tons of cocaine. I don't have to tell y'all who Oliver North is, do I? I don't have to tell you about the Iran-Contra deal, do I? I don't have to tell you about the crack cocaine Ricky Freeway wasp 
you know, getting his dope from CIA contacts to, to flood the black communities so they can fund their dirty wars. This is just ridiculous. But getting back to this story, the reason this man said don't worry about Hillary Clinton, it was only recently that Hillary Clinton, I don't know, she may not have done anything. How can we verify that she's no longer taking campaign money from uh, uh, those lobbyists for the for the private prison enslavers that were you know working as bundlers for her campaign and when she got called out on it you know then she gonna say something like I'm a in prisons I'm a in private prisons well what how did she plan to end private prisons she just blowing smokes up people's behinds and telling them what they want to hear and to give cover to all them politicians who are backing her and, and whatnot. So um, he knows something we he knows something most of us don't know. He know Hillary Clinton if she gets in there that it's just gonna be the same old same old. Man, yeah, that's kind of a, a good lead in to this other story that's coming up, which uh, I gotta say. From my perspective, I would tell you, I'm calling for her to step down from the head of the DNC, Ms. Wasserman, mm -hmm. and step down from public life, period. I mean, you shouldn't even be involved with the public. If you think, like this letter that was sent out with your endorsement in 2011, uh, if, you, if you really think like this, then you shouldn't have anything to do with politics or people at all. Uh, have you guys actually read the letter yet? Uh, yes, I read it a, a few days ago and I scanned back over it. Um, for those that's listening on Black Talk Radio Network, if you want to check it out, I have linked to each story that we're sharing with you. And of course, they're being posted to New Abolitionist Radio's Facebook page as well. But let's take our, our first station identification break real short and come back and, and we'll uh, transition to that next story. Indeed. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio with Scotty Reed, Johanna Nalaya, and Max Parker. We'll be right back after these messages. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. As Scotty mentioned, uh, we were speaking about uh, the Democratic Party and Hillary Clinton. There's another story that came out about the DNC's uh, uh, head, uh, Wasserman. And this is a letter that was written uh, and sent out to Congress uh, Max. in 2007. Yeah. Max, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, uh, but I want to I just call for our listeners to participate more. And oh, we okay. got a we got a call, so let's go to area code three one three. Thank you for uh, joining us here on New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, if you you can give us your name if you choose, you don't have to. But uh, what's on your mind tonight? Well, let's just see. If I don't give you my name, would you figure out who I am based on 
the area code in Detroit, you invited me to call you or listen to your statement. I'm glad I'm doing that. This is Cliff Woodards, John. Well, Pete, and welcome to Hello. the Abolition Radio. Thanks for calling in. How you doing? All right. What's your uh, question or comment today? Well, I heard you guys were talking about the national section with Hillary Clinton, but I had been talking with a friend of mine named John Coolidge. I don't know if he's participating in the program or not, but we had been having some lively debates uh, over the last day or so with respect to um, black folk taking advantage of uh, court amnesty fees here in Detroit, and, and I wasn't sure if he was actually discussing that on today's that program, pretty, uh, I don't want to take I don't want to take you guys too far off topic. Yeah, we we um yeah we were not discussing that as we have a criteria right. or whatnot. But if you want to share something real quick uh for listeners to go no, research no, no, no. later, go, go, go ahead, go ahead, do your thing with the Hillary and the DNC. I'll just listen to that. Um, okay, call and I listen to it, and I don't want to take you guys off topic. But do your thing, okay? Okay, uh, anytime you want to chime back in, just hit uh, star six and one again, and that'll... Uh, Q&AQ is cleared. That'll put your name up. Uh, I think, okay, yeah, Johanna, you still unmuted. Okay, uh, Max, I'm sorry, go ahead, please. Oh, okay, um, what the brother was just mentioning, too, I saw a photo of people, uh, as a matter of fact, I saw it on Johanna's page, people lined up for two freaking miles. Uh, trying to pay their outstanding warrants and tickets, things that they had been holding over their heads or they'd be incarcerated. Apparently, they had a two-day sale of ticket fees. Oh, man, you talk about extortion at the highest level. Got two miles of black folks standing out there in the freezing cold trying to take advantage of this last-minute white sale on their tickets and warrants. It was an amazing sight to see. And really just a, a terrible thing to know that this is how we're funding our freaking counties around here and places like Detroit with uh, just by right. extorting the poor. So anyway, let me move right. on to the story. Uh, this story came out from uh, New Times, and it says Debbie Wasserman Schultz tells radio host her endorsement of CCA's prison still stands. U.S. Rep. Debbie Wasserman Schultz wrote a letter, see above, in April to ICE Director Gary Mead, indicating her support for the proposed immigrant detention facility that private contractor CCA wants to build in Southwest Ranches. Today, she went on the radio with WIOD AM 610 host Jimmy Capello. Toward the end of the interview, he passed on a listener's question about whether she would rescind the endorsement in light of increased opposition to the facility. She politely said no repeating the point that the land had been zoned for a jail since before Southwest Ranches took it over and said all she wants is to let people's opinions be heard. Uh, after the jump, did people, well, let, you know, let me skip and go right to this letter. Yeah, let me let me read about. that, uh, Max, because, again, yeah, you know, your audio you is kind of, yeah, yeah, let me get, read that. All right, but let me first say this. This is from 2011. This was four years ago, but the reason that we're talking about it tonight is to let you know who is running the DNC committee right now. 
this 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 is a woman this is a close clinton confidant and whatnot and we just want to dispel the myth or the notion that there is a difference between the republicans and the democrats there are only a couple of issues where they disagree on and that is gay marriage and uh, abortions those are the only two issues that i see and maybe climate change okay so three issues everything else man they work together it's all bipartisan okay bill clinton didn't pass that legislation by himself he had a republican controlled congress so that's the context of why we are sharing this four-year-old letter with you is to show you that these people are in key positions of government still to this day so this is the letter it's on official letterhead from her office um and it says dear director me uh, and she's writing the director of the Immigration and Customs Enforcement. All right. She says, I am writing in support of the application submitted by the town of Southwest Ranches, Florida, in response to the request for IGSA concept proposal, Miami, issued by U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. I am told that this location meets all of the requirements identified by the statement of objects, including the fact that it is readily accessible to three international airports, is close to ICE or ICE field offices, Chrome Detention Center, numerous medical facilities, and is accessible by bus, Amtrak, and Tri-Rail. This nearly $100 million project is privately funded and will immediately stimulate local jobs and economy growth. The project is estimated to create more than 1,000 full-time construction jobs and upon completion will directly create 314 full-time staff positions. I appreciate your consideration of this matter. Sincerely, Bill Nelson and Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Now, let me say this to people out there, because I, I, you know, and, and I know we typically, when we talk about people who are against quote unquote illegal immigration, that most people assume that you're talking about the right wing crazies of the Republican Party that make up most of their base. All right. But I have also heard this in the black community because they are worried about these people coming in and taking jobs from us. And, and, and so the concerns are based on real things. But this is what I say. I look at all the African immigrants trying to get the hell out of Africa and into Europe because of how their countries have been destabilized. Now. Would you rather those Africans stay in, in, in these war-torn countries that have been instigated and orchestrated by multinational corporations as well as these white supremacist governments? No, you wouldn't say nothing about them Africans that's trying to escape the poverty, the war, and all the ills that have been created in their home countries, mostly in northern Africa. All right, I read an article today about one million immigrants have Im from Africa have immigrated into Europe. All right, they're running from the horrors that have been created by these multinational corporations and these governments. Well, I look at South America the same way. The war-torn 
countries down there. And I'm talking mainly about the drug war. All of those people, I think it was what, not that long ago that, that it was being reported over 10,000 people had been killed in Mexico alone because of the U.S. drug war, because the United States is sending weapons down there. You know, I don't have to tell y'all about that gun running scheme, do I? And then we told you on this program how the DEA cut a deal with the Sinaloa drug cartel, which allowed them to smuggle drugs into the United States and dump it into Chicago and then from all points out to the other cities and whatnot. Well, well, the U.S. government and these corporations have destabilized those uh, uh, parts of the world, too. And those people aren't doing anything more than what those Africans are doing, trying to escape, you know, their war-torn uh, uh, countries and destabilized regions. So I don't got nothing against these people, because if I was them, I would be trying to get to safety, too. All right. So if you want to point a finger at anybody, we need to be uh, uh, pointing a finger at the U.S. government and these corporations that are destabilizing these regions and causing these people to leave their homelands and, and, and seeking safety, you know, and whatnot. So I said all that to say this. This is why we talk about these immigration detention facilities, because that is slavery, too. That is slavery. All right. They have had a number of of um, work stoppages that we have reported on here because they were getting abused, weren't being given medical care. Uh, what what was it? Well, Lassie County, Texas, where they had the, the, the uh, uprising at yeah. those immigrant detention yeah. facilities where they had these guys sleeping outside in tents, you know, packing them. And then when they stopped working. Look, these dudes wasn't in there attacking guards or nothing like that. They said, we are not getting treated like human beings. We are not being given adequate medical treatment for stuff that's happening to us. And, 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 and that's it. They said, we ain't going to work. Man, people from all over, law enforcement and, and, and other people in that area, deputies, sheriffs, police, Man, they ran to that prison with their guns and stuff, just waiting to shoot these do, shoot these uh, uh, modern-day slaves down. So that's why I don't take the position on immigration that many other people. I understand their frustration. Yes, things are bad for us, and purposely so, because they want to funnel us into slavery. But I'm not going to be looking at these immigrants as, as taking something from me, because it is this government that is these stabilizing the entire world so i you know i just wanted to say that i ain't mean to take up so much time <laughs> you all right well, brother <clears throat> well i'll just add to it uh, yeah i'll just add to it that i think it's uh very well documented um you know in, in my adult lifetime anyway i can clearly remember bill clinton's policies against uh, Haitian and uh, other Caribbean countries, uh, primarily where people of color were trying to escape, you know, uh, regimes that had been propped up or put in place by, you know, for for lack of a better way of putting it, by the U.S. themselves, you know, puppet governments that they put in place and continue to destabilize the people's economies there and, and on and on. And as the people had no place to turn, uh, Bill Clinton turned them around and told them, you can't come here. You know, after an unprecedented 
uh, time of, of upheaval in the Eastern Bloc countries and when the wall came down and we never saw any kind of anything said about uh, any of those people immigrating here or we never heard anything about uh, the Serbian genocide is going on and all the people that, that migrated here, you know, from those years. So I think that we're well beyond uh, uh, being able to pretend uh, to be naive about the color line that's clearly drawn. Um, you know, we saw the people not only turned around in their boats, but we also saw the markets destabilized for the only things that only uh, goods that their entire countries could even produce and bring to market. Um, so, you know, they tanked the prices of bananas, tanked the prices of other fresh fruits and vegetables that came exclusively from these places, uh, entered into different trade uh, treaty uh, practices that, that destroyed the prices, destroyed uh, the people's ability to, to control the markets for their own wealth building purposes. So, I mean, this is a very multi-layered attack on blackness, period. And it goes back to Bill Clinton, who shamelessly did that, then went on to be the leader of the Haitian rebuilding effort after the earthquake, which, you know, you can say what you want to say about why that earthquake even destroyed half the country as it is. But still to this day, now we see his wife in a position where she's going to be making these kind of decisions once they put her in place, if that's what goes on to happen. These people have a horrible history of, of domestic and foreign relations with people of color. This right, is our first right. black president, as they said. Right. And Debbie Wasserman Schultz, again, she's right now the head of the DNC. And they are facing mm -hmm. accusations that they're trying to grease the, the wheel so that Hillary Clinton will get that nomination because they know right. what their history is. They know they're in cahoots together. And, and so right. I know a lot of people, you know, they want to engage in identity politics or it's liberal versus conservative, Republican versus Democrat. Evil is evil. Ain't no lesser of two evils. OK, evil is evil. Yes, some people do more evil than most. The only difference I see between the Democrats and the Republicans concerning, you know, outside of those three issues that I named is I don't see any difference that the Democrats are just more codified in practicing their racism than the Republicans are. Well, I want to take another perspective on this letter. Uh, first of all, it's, you can find the same basically exact wording at the CCA or GEO website. This is their selling points. This is what they tell politicians when they want to build prisons in your communities. And that points to what you think as a politician of the highest order and uh, the head of the DNC. If, you're, if this is your priority, then you are certainly a slaver. You're in bed with slavers, and you really don't care about the people around you or the lives that you're destroying. Your priorities are how much money you can make, how much money people like you can make, and how many opportunities it will create in the community the predominantly white community. She says, in addition, and most significantly, now she didn't say kind of significantly, she said most significantly, <laughs> right. this nearly $100 million project is 100% privately funded and will immediately stimulate jobs and economic growth. Over the next 18 months, the project is estimated to create more than 1,000 full-time construction jobs, and a combined completion will directly create 300 full-time staff positions, in addition to the countless numbers of jobs that will be borne by the ancillary services. Most significantly, again, these are her words, most 
significantly, this project will stimulate job growth in South Florida by creating more than 1,000 full-time jobs during the 18-month construction of this facility. Upon completion, this facility will create 314 full-time staff positions and employ over 300 additional men and women with celebrity services such as food preparation and laundry services. See, these are your concerns. How much goddamn money are you going to make off of people's bodies? You have no intention of rehabilitating or uh, providing, you know, humane services for immigrants who come in and out. You are just using people like cattle to stimulate your pockets and your economy. And this type of mentality has to end. You have to have some kind of concern for the human lives you are destroying to get your 314 full-time staff position. But see, that's how they think. It's like looking at their watch. They don't give a damn about the gears that are inside. All they want to know is what time is it. So the gears don't matter, and we are the gears inside that watch. And you're destroying our lives. You're imprisoning our men, women, and children at rates that have never been seen before in human history. And you are inflicting upon us the greatest oppression we've seen since the 1800s. For what? For 300 additional men and women in ancillary services such as food preparation and laundry services. You don't give a damn about people. It's pretty simple to see, man. It's really simple to see if you got your eyes open and you want to see it. Uh, the, the, the thing that always comes to mind is what you uh, always have, have said yourself, Max. I, I hear it in my head, uh, you know, in almost every interaction uh, with these deniers. Is You know, you can't wake somebody who's only pretending to be asleep. There's no way in this age of information. There's just no way. I, I see too many people every day bragging about degrees and good jobs and these positions they have and how they live in this good life and how everything – I mean, there's no way you're enlightened in the rest of your life and you're interacting and you're fully assimilated and integrated into this American life and you live in this American dream and you got access to information at your fingertips. You can have an instant connection to anything that you want to know, learn or understand or brag about. It's all there at your fingertips. If you think it, you can do it. You can see it. But when it comes to this subject, everybody's sleep. Everybody's ignorant. Nobody understands. They'll talk around you. They'll talk up and down and around and inside and out, but they will not sit down and speak directly to modern-day slavery. No, they won't. And uh, this narrative is so commonplace throughout history, even as far back as the 1866 when the first prison, uh, state prison was built here in South Carolina to house blacks who were violating the black codes of the time, and they switched from 99% white in prisons to 90% black in prisons almost overnight. So we've been hearing this since the beginning. This is their concern. It ain't got nothing to do with rehabilitation. It ain't got nothing to do with incarceration. It's got everything to do with stimulation of the economy and using us Negroes as the primary product to cause that to happen with no concern for our lives whatsoever. And I know some people would say it's not just a black problem. But I'm here every week telling you things like Ohio has an 83% white population and a 12.6% black population, but blacks are being arrested at 6.4 to 1. And we say that every week. So it's primarily right. black people being 
uh, assaulted by this system built to make these now it's like half a trillion dollar a year industry on their lives, on their backs, on their incarceration, on the robbery of their freedom. So one day you might end up seeing two miles of black people standing in line at 20 degree weather to pay some damn tickets and, and parking tickets and warrants that they're getting on a fire sale. Well, Max, I'm, 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 you know, it, it's very rarely that we have points of disagreement, but again, this is about immig- this particular story is about the immigration detention facilities, which we have reported on over the years of what is being done to these people. Now they got entire camps for families. You know, wasn't it the GO group bragging about how we teaching them English and, and all this and the kids? G-O-N-C-C-A. Yeah, and the kids get to, you know, uh, do this and do that while their parents are off working. These are slave labor camps, man. And and I would say it's a melanated issue. Not just a black issue, yeah. but if you melanated, if you got any degree of melanation, if you're not an English speaker, if you're just seen as being foreign, you have a target on your well, back. That's, okay. That's and, what I'm saying, basically, is what I say black. I mean, they ain't white people that are going into immigration centers. And <laughs> right. Well, right. we talked about right, right, the Wallace right. County incident. That was a perfect example with 2,000 prisoners in a prison group of 700 people living in tents out in the open and working every day uh, for the prison. But we also need working to... Working for McDonald's, working for Applebee's, working for Wendy's, working for... Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, it was another, I think maybe Walmart was a part of that labor they had going on there too. So these are not just some secret you don't understand or you don't know what we're talking about when we say they're doing slave labor. No, these are brands that you're supporting. These people were in Wallace County Detention Facility for immigration. They were in there working for McDonald's Corporation, making, producing the plasticware, producing uh, the uniforms for the employees in McDonald's locations around the world, potentially. They were in there processing meat products. This is what they had these illegal immigrants in the prison doing for slave labor, for, as Max said, pennies on the dollar or no pay at all. And some of the people that they were putting in there, the prison itself was going to across the border and bringing into America yes. so they could put them in prison because it yep. is an open, open known case. Factual mm-hmm. evidence that they had to, they caught and had to fire. Now, they didn't incarcerate them, but they caught and fired several employees of MTC, Management and Training Corporation, who formerly owned that prison complex before the violence and the death that resulted uh, in previous riots. And they had to get rid of that contract. But when they owned it, MTC employees were caught driving company van in company uniform, crossing mm-hmm. over and back again the United States border with Mexico, smuggling in illegal immigrants and then set them free so they could be caught and put right back in the damn prison. So we know what we're talking about. Right. And I remember we had reported on, I think it was on this program. It might have been a different program. Remember when it was a surge uh, across the border of these unaccompanied children? And, right. and 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 they were saying that somebody was telling them it was going to be amnesty coming up, and all of these mothers were were sending their children unaccompanied to escape the violence and the hell that they living in down there. I believe that these 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 private prison enslavers were behind them rumors. I'm pretty sure well, they were. Yeah, they collected 3.8 billion dollars of federal government funds 
uh, some months after that phenomenon occurred, didn't they? When they the sure did. Hit. Mm-hmm. The, way, so, the reason I yeah. believe that that is the exact thing that occurred is because from this program, we were uh, one of the early reporters telling you about how they were going to close those facilities near the Mexican border mm-hmm. because they weren't populated enough. They were under threat of being closed. And it was in this very short period of time, tens of thousands of people suddenly came in on a rumor that if they just spent a year or two in one of these facilities, they would have a chance to be an American citizen. So people sent their children by themselves, hoping to give them a chance. But the chance was for them to earn uh, the state, or whoever's running those prisons, the private prisons, $30,000, $40,000 a year per person for holding them and working them. Now, another thing I want to point out, don't think, because in, 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 we, you know, I just don't want people to think, because I had this theory. I had this theory of the reason that we only see videos of black people being killed by cops or, or, or you know, whatever the abuse may be. I think that's done on purpose because they don't want you to know that poor whites, which we have reported on in those counties where the private probation company you know what I'm saying? Those were mostly whites. When I live in this county and I see in the jail is full up with whites, so don't think it ain't affecting you. See, see, you might say, well, long as it's happening to those people, I ain't got to worry about nothing. Yes, you do. And then how do you like your tax dollars, money that you work for, going into the pockets of these prison slavers? How do you like that? So everybody is affected, in my opinion. To some degree, yeah, exactly, exactly. Of course, there are going to be extremes, and African Americans and Hispanics and uh, Native Americans fall into the very large extreme of incarceration. But there's uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, white people in prisons and jails right now, hundreds of thousands. And and one last thing before we move on to the uh, related story, uh, we're coming up at the top of the hour. Um, but she, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, where is she? Who does she represent? What, what district is she out of? Florida. How many uh-huh. times have we talked about, you know, we had George Mollencrop on the program. We got to get him back on because I read on Facebook that his book has been banned from prisons. What's the name of yeah. his book? How to Get Away with Murder. Getting, getting Away with Murder. Yeah, the Darren Rainey yeah. story. I, where he was working in a Florida prison and witnessed this stuff, you know, and he quit and he wrote a book about it. And and so this is all in Florida, Florida, as far as we know. OK, as far as we know, um, they have astronomical death going on in them prisons. And a lot of it is at the hands of guards is killing these prisoners. Then they have to create a special website just so family members could check and make sure that they, you know, family person member that's enslaved hadn't been killed. They came up. I remember y'all was reporting on that. But Florida is one of the worst states. Marco Rubio. Okay, Marco Rubio, you think George, and, and where is the GEO group based at? Boca Raton, the Florida. The GEO group owns the government over there in Florida, basically. Yes. Uh, they were giving away $3,000 dinner plates to help with uh, campaigns for the governor. Rick uh, Scott. At one point. Right, Rick Scott. And uh, directly in bed with the government in Florida. It's very much like Tennessee and CCA. That's their home state. 
if they don't own the government there, then uh, nobody Charlie Chris's will. Don't forget about him. The only other governor in the last 10, 15 years, both of them owned by the GO group. One Republican, one Democrat. Stop thinking exactly. that they that there is a difference between the two parties. Only when it comes to the most important issue, or at least should be the most important issue, and that's twenty first century slavery. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people, you know, gave their lives allegedly to end slavery. And, and and they were betrayed by Lincoln and the North, and they put that exception clause in the Thirteenth Amendment. So I like, you know, Republicans like to talk about how Democrats were real racist back in the eighteen. Look, man, I don't want to hear that Republican Democrat crap. All right, when it comes to slavery, they work together. Well, we're coming up to the top of the hour, and it's our break time. When we come back on the other side of this break. We're going to talk about a new release that came out in 1998 during the Clinton administration that shows how they were using the prisons at that time in 98 to generate $150 million in sales each year just in California alone. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We'll be right back up to you tonight. This is Brother Elliot, host of Time for an Awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, as Scotty said, there is a place where racism is fading away. And it's in the prisons. Because nowadays, they don't give a damn what colors you are. They go with what they normally do, usually, yes, but they really don't care what color you are. They will put you in there for profit. And this story comes from Berkeley Education News Media. And it's 1998. And it's hindsight now, so you can see exactly how this was designed and what it was all about. As in the Schultz uh, letter that we read earlier, it's always been about economic growth for them, for the same reason that they had slavery in the 1800s openly in the way that they did. It's the same reason they had mass incarceration now. It says, if you think prison inmates only make license plates, you're behind the times. A report recently released this month by an economist at the University of California, Berkeley, found California prison factories, yes, I said those two words together, prison factories, and farms are responsible for over $150 million in direct sales annually in the state. Prison products today range from silk screen clothing in Kishapi uh, to fine ground optics in Vacaville. The report is the first comprehensive study of the economic impact of the California Prison Industry Authority, the largest prison work program in any state. The organization employs about 7,000 inmates in 23 prisons with Del Norte to San Diego County, said report author George Goldman, a cooperative extension economist in the Department of Agricultural and Research, uh, Resource Economics at the UC Berkeley College of Natural Resources. Prison work programs in California are voluntary. <laughs> yeah, slavery was voluntary. What did they say it was? Uh, it was unpaid in internship. Yeah, internship. <laughs> And inmates line up for a chance to work. Of course they do. They have nothing. If you gave them a penny an hour, they take it because it's the only way they're going to buy those socks you make them buy or those Reeboks you make them buy. Or ramen noodles. Or ramen noodles. 
even though they are paying an average of only 57 cents an hour, the pay scale ranges from 30 cents to 95 cents an hour. Goldman's study shows a positive economic impact on the state from prison work programs and also indicates what would happen if they did not exist. If you wipe out the California Prison Industry Authority, you'd lose $62 million in personal income in the state. And Goldman, additionally, 560 jobs would disappear. Not counting those held by convicts and state civil service staff, Goldman found prison labor is also healthy for the private sector. Prison programs produce goods that in many states would otherwise come from outside the state while employing the private sector to supply raw material. Uh, biggest prison products are food with 33 million in sales annually, fabric with 32 million, paper and wood, 30 million, and metal products, 22 million. This is the last part of this I'm gonna read. You can read the rest on the address in this video. The main goal of prison work programs is to provide a positive outlet to help inmates productively use their time and energy, said Frank Lasco, spokesperson for the Prison Industry Authority. Another goal is to instill good work habits, including appropriate job behavior and time management. That is such a crock of bull. Again, this is from 98. It sounds just like the letter we just read from 2011, and it sounds like the things we hear in 2015 soon to be 2016. It's all about how much money they can make off of these people's backs. They have no interest in uh, trying to uh, re, uh, bring people back into the community. And as far as these work programs go, what the hell makes you think that the people you're arresting don't already have a good work program? They already have ethics and values. What makes you think they don't? Right. That really sounds very racist right off the top of the bat. All you lazy Negroes need have some good work ethics, so we're going to make you work in prison just to show you how to get up at 6 o'clock every morning and stay at work every day. Because you know when that rap music come on, you want to dance. And whenever you feel this need, you want to fall asleep. Right. These are the narratives that we hear constantly. Remember, it was, it was last week that we reported on um, the guy lost his job. He lost a good job because of, of, of what was it? Probation it had something to do yes. with some fines or something. Y'all remember that story? Yes. Yeah. Yes, uh, exactly. That, that's the case. So you're assuming, and it's a racist statement to say that to begin with. You know, I so was. That's what you're saying. I was, um, I was, um, like, thing. I don't believe in coincidences. I believe things happen for a reason, and this was just confirmation of what I was telling somebody else. Not that I disagree with what the person said. Alright, I think his name is Alan Mills. Uh, he, uh, he works, he's a professor or something, but he does, uh, work on these innocence, uh, issues with prisoners and whatnot. I would consider him an abolitionist, even though I've never heard him refer to himself as an abolitionist. But this wasn't even related to uh, 21st century slavery but he was saying like all of this garbage that people keep talking about how Clinton did this for the economy and, and, and the economy was so great because of political policies that came out of the Clinton administration he said during that period in the 1990s is when computers were being uh, integrated into the workplace making workers more productive it's technology that played a role in it. 
And then I said to him, and he didn't disagree uh, with me at all. And I said, you know what? Now that I think about it, I said, I'm willing to bet you that a huge part of that so-called prosperity was from prison slavery during his time because of the three strikes in your outlaw, the omnibus bill that put all these cops on the street and whatnot and hiring all these prison overseer guards and, and, and whatnot. And, and I bet you that that was a large section or had a lot to do with, um, you know, the so-called prosperity of America during the Clinton administration. And then when I saw you chose this article, I was like, this is just confirmation California alone California by itself 150 million in sales from prison slave labor now that's just California there are what 50 other states as well as colonies and whatnot so and that was in 98 it's much more now yes it's much more now and 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 to hit on what you were talking about in terms of how they try to sell this uh, this is teach because they still use the same language today. Oh, this is teach giving them a job skill. This is teaching them how to be productive and and whatnot. Well, when well, how is it when they get out they can't find a job then? Cause you won't hire them cause they got that felony uh status on them for life for life. Yeah, this is uh, this is so clear. If you can't see it, you're choosing not to look. <laughs> it's really just that simple. You're choosing not to look. When you're dealing with cognitive dissonance on a, a level that we can't really help you with, I would suggest just face life and reality as it is and not as you want it to be. This is what is really happening, and, and this is why it's happening. And, this and is a, the source of our wounds. In addition to the profits they were making off of the prisoners, then you just also think about, you know, the money that they was uh, saving, you know. So we have to multiply that. How much were they saving, you know, these companies that was involved in this by not giving you a job that's not in prison when they can just utilize prison slave labor? Why would they give you a job? Why would they pay you more than minimum right. wage? You should be lucky. We could just give it all the prison slaves. Exactly. Well, so it led to unemployment rates increasing, I'm sure. Right. Fellas, I want to incorporate this. Uh, I know we've got to, you know, maintain our, our structure here. I spoke with uh, uh, Brother Cliff, who had called in earlier uh, through our, you know, social media channels and, and uh, confirmed that he was, you know, going to hang with us to, to discuss this. I, I want to put this, uh, this story of how he came into calling us. And Max is somewhat familiar. Scotty, I believe I tagged you into that post as well. Um, that, that really kind of started this whole conversation. And since we talk about the slave labor, we're talking about the revenue generation. We're talking about, you know, the, the basically racial profiling just on the, on a huge scale, uh, as a, as a nationwide, uh, narrative. That's, you know, that's what we choose to do in this country is go ahead and, and, and race based policing is what, is what happens to create all of this. Um, the original post, that the brother had, he, uh, I believe he was telling me that he is actually a public defender and, uh, in, in, uh, uh, from the city of Detroit and was telling me about how, or the Post was talking about how they had an amnesty program going on, um, uh, 
for, you know, all these low-level municipal fines and tickets and whatnot, just like we reported out of Ferguson, which spurred the, uh, the, the Ferguson is America series, which Max has uh, thoroughly investigated over this last year. Uh, almost every state in the union has been covered and shown the exact same racist pattern and practices, continuing criminal conspiracy to extort and, and terrorize uh, the, the people of color illegally and unconstitutionally, the same thing state to state. Well, they ran this program in Detroit, and uh, from what I understood in the post, uh, folks had uh, were recorded, I guess, or overheard. Uh, black people were upset uh, standing in this line in the cold and complaining about, you know, their feet hurting and on and on. You know how that black folks do complain and complain and complain. And so that was kind of the post, the purpose of the post, from what I understood, was pointing out that even when the city was trying to, the court was trying to give, you know, help to these people, this is what the black folks was doing, was complaining, instead of taking advantage of, you know, the kindness of the court. So this continued into a larger and, you know, ongoing debate or what have you. So I, I believe, Scotty, is, is our caller still with us in the queue? or I believe so. Um, let me go ahead and unmute 313. Yes, he's with us. Brother Cliff, are yes. you still with us? Now, am yep, I I'm off back. I'm back all, here again. How y'all doing? Am I, am I at all on point with how I'm explaining this, or can you give us some insight into what I mean? What you, you actually were, do in, in your your perspective? You are dead on accurate. My pra I'm a I'm a I'm in private practice. My practice consists roughly about 65% retained clients, 35% court appointed. But it really doesn't matter whether or not somebody gives me the money or the court gives me the money. I'm going to be the same attorney regardless of where I get paid. Right. But even as you pointed out uh, when you said a few seconds ago, you know how we are, how black folk complain. And my post really wasn't trying to disparage the number of black people that wanted to come down and get straight. It was about the few that was out there whining and complaining about, well, you know, they could they could have let us stay in Ford Field. For those of you who may not be familiar with Detroit, Ford Field, of course, is where the Lions play, and it's one block over from 36th District Court where they were standing. And some of those folk were saying, you know, they could have let us stay in Ford Field. One young one, young one young woman went so far as to say, well, you know, they could have taken names and they could have called us. Now, anybody knows a court doesn't call people and say, uh, can you come to court, please? Right. You know, and that's the problem that I had with that is when the court is giving you, as you said in the, in the intro to this piece, the court is cutting out your late fees. They're cutting out your warrant fees, which can save you pretty much half of what you owe. Come Why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? Courts all over the country do that periodically. They give people a break, you know. If you come in, you know, within this specified time frame, they'll waive the late fees. They'll, they'll just let you pay with the original, the cost of the original ticket. Because courts, like everywhere else, and you all were talking about this, about how things have turned into money-making operations, courts now are money-making operations. So they would rather have Cliff Woodards come in and pay the original $100 on the ticket as opposed to being out there and not paying the $200 that Cliff currently owes. So courts have budgets. They're going to do whatever they can to get revenue to meet their budgets. And if that's getting rid of the warrant fees and the late fees and getting the original cost of the ticket, which they would have gotten had the person paid on time, they're happy to do that. 
or if that also means targeting black people with ridiculous tickets and fines so you can fund <laughs> your county budgets. But see, now that's where uh, that's how we now that's uh, that's how we got into this big debate earlier is, is because do I think it's targeting? Now I'm not going to be naive. I think I mentioned this on on uh, in one of my comments to your uh, your co-host just a few minutes ago. Am I naive enough to say that racial profiling does not exist? No. Do am I stupid enough to think that some cops don't target us? No, and sometimes even our own black people target us. Yes, I get that. But do I think that all of those black folks that were down there to pay off their tickets were targeted? Absolutely not. I practice in that same court courthouse every single day. I represent those same people every single day who have tickets. Now, where 36th District went wrong, and, and this has been years ago, 36th District would used to let people skate out of there without paying their, their fines and costs on the day of the ticket. You go, you go out to some suburban courts, you don't leave that courthouse without paying your fines that day. And or leave some blood. Is, no, no, because it's illegal to put you in jail for a civil infraction. Um, state law does not allow you to put a person in jail for a civil infraction. It has to be in the state of Michigan. But, yeah, I can't speak on any other state, but um, there's no such thing as a debtor's prison. But the point I'm making is the same black people that get a ticket in Detroit, you if I represent them in Livonia, the they go to Livonia with their money. They have their money in Livonia at the time they go to court on that ticket because they know Livonia doesn't play. They know Farmington Hills doesn't play. They know all of the suburban courts want their money right then and there. But Detroit, because the judges, and predominantly all of them are black, have always had this kindness and this soft spark spot in their heart. Well, we know how tough it is. We'll give you 45 days to pay. We'll give you 60 days to pay. And you know what happens. We get out of the court and, you know, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, and we never pay. And so that's how you have thousands of people running around the city who haven't paid. Now, you can't tell me, and this is the point that I was making on my post in, in the dialogue to either you or somebody else, you can't tell me that these people didn't have that money sitting around. Now, think about it. The court ran this special two days after Christmas. When you know good and well, ain't nobody got no money. But two days <laughs> after Christmas, thousands of black people showed up to take advantage of this offer. Come on, you know they could have come up with that money beforehand. I don't it know was, that for sure. There's a couple oh, of where things. They get, where they get the money from after they done bought Call of Duty, they done bought the big screen TV, they done bought the kids and gym shoes, they done been to Toys R Us. You know all of a sudden they had the money from somewhere. They did. You know, well, and I don't want to put myself on a pedestal. Let me let me say this part too. I don't want to put myself on a pedestal. Some people were in my post talking about you know, just because you're a lawyer, you don't know how people struggle, you don't know how hard it is. I have been a procrastinator all my life. I drive with a lead foot. I have had I don't know how many tickets. Uh, I have had tickets to where I've had so many points that I had to have in Michigan. We call them driver responsibility fees. 
I've had to pay two years of driver responsibility fees. I've ha- I've ignored tickets too. Yeah, I'll pay it. I'll pay it. It's gone into default. My license has been suspended. I've had to pay the late fees, the suspension fees, the reinstatement fees, and the warranty. But did I go down to court complaining because it was inconvenient? No. I did what these kids call today. I manned up. I went ahead. I paid it because it wasn't nobody's fault but mine that I put myself in that situation. And that's all I'm saying is this younger generation tends to want to, well, it's not my fault. You know, how come I got to go to jail? It's it's not my fault. Man, I've gotten people who come to court and a judge will give them the next court date. Man, I can't come to court. That's my birthday. What did you just say? I mean, I can, can, I, I can appreciate Can I get in here? Yeah, come yeah, on. Go man. ahead. You have said some blanket statements, and you have portrayed some proxy racism perspectives, and I'm just going to say it like I'm hearing it. Uh, what you said in the post itself regarding how you can't be nice to black people was a racist statement. Mm-hmm. I was really thought it was from a white person saying something like that because you were generalizing Black people. Now, all of these black people are standing out there in the freezing cold trying to Actually, I said bills. some black people. I said well, some black people. I didn't say all. Well, well, I said it, some. It, 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 is, it is something you hear from white people. And then you also said there's no such thing as debtors' prisons. You said it so casually. But right now, the ACLU is challenging debtors' prisons across Michigan. So apparently, there are debtors' prisons in Michigan. And then also, you said that. You don't know, or you don't think that the cops targeted uh, all of those like, all of those people there uh, based on race. Well, there's several mm-hmm. studies that have been coming out saying that's exactly what's happening. That a large percentage of the people who were waiting out there were targeted. As much as 70% of them were targeted. So you got these women, some maybe pregnant women or young people or uh, people who don't have a home out there saying, you know. All I, I'm here to do is pay this bill that was $800 and is now $100, so I don't go to prison. And they're complaining. <laughs> I mean, what do you what do you want me to say about that? So they're complaining. They are the victims here. Victims of what? They came. They got a ticket because they were speeding. They got a ticket because they turned left on a red light illegally, so and then they uh, didn't pay the ticket. And now they're complaining because they don't have to pay some late fees, but they wound up with the ticket in the first place. Let me let me play. Let me let me let me shoot down the middle here. Okay, let's keep it real, Mm -hmm. because, you know, I, I teach my children, don't be speeding. Don't be doing this. You have to be extra careful. You do have cops out here, and, and this is, we've reported on these stories. They have quotas. They have quotas. You, you've had police sue um, the uh, police department for making them have these quotas and, and stopping people. So it is a money-making scheme. Now, we do have to take responsibility. We do have to take responsibility when we do something mm-hmm. stupid and whatnot. But when, but when we're looking at it in the grand scheme of things, that you admitted that this is a money-making scheme. 
Okay, and and so no, you know, you said some some black people do that, and I can imagine. But let me tell you something: I would be complaining too if if I'm out there. I used to live in Detroit. I know how cold it can get in Detroit. You know what I'm saying? And and then you know, so I could, I, you know, I would be complaining about the cold if I got to stand out there in the cold. And I'm still going to stay minute, there and hold, take hold, it. Hold wait up. a minute. I'm, when they walked when they walked out of their house, though, they knew that it was 41 degrees. They didn't dress for it. These are people that live in the city all their life. They know what it's like out there. You know, okay, okay, but but I think I this there. is a minor thing, though. I think this is uh -huh. it, it's minor. It, it's kind of petty in the grand grand scheme of what we talk about, which is 21st century slavery and human trafficking. We're we're talking about traffic tickets, okay? We're talking about traffic tickets and people complaining. All right, I I just uh -huh. think that that's that's petty. That's not something that that we really want to talk about. Uh, on this program, well, do some people? Let me, let me put it like this, Scotty. This, if if I may, this is the reason I felt like it was something that would fit into what we're talking about. Because what I saw is not so much the post itself. Because of course, his brother is welcome to have his own opinion. You know, say what he feels or what have you. My issue with the post is not even his caption and, and talking about these people complaining and all of that. And I don't want to get too far off in the weeds, just focusing on that thing. The issue for me is over 150 people liked the story and then went on to comment, you know, nearly 100 comments supporting that black folks just do this, black folks just do that. You shouldn't have did what you did to get in trouble. Oh, we just always, I mean, I'm seeing a culture within our persecuted situation. We are living in a domestic colony here. There is no way you're going to tell me that there is a free black person living in this country. Your, every road leads to white, white supremacy. Your destiny will end the way that white supremacy says you live and you will die. You don't have any autonomy. So it upset me to read all of these black folks that have no other option but to live according to what this man say do are really in here running other black folks through the mud saying they deserve the, the fines they got when we have reported on this program for years. DOJ reports have shown for years that all of these major metro police departments and several other rural and outlying ones as well are illegally racially policing, uh, race-based policing, committing racial profiling, avoiding uh, people's constitutional rights, all the way up the line to the Supreme Court Justice Kennedy himself saying there ain't even no fair trials in the country. So when we have this as facts, when we know that this is the fact that it's race-based policing, and that goes all the way up through prosecutors stacking charges, people not even getting fair trials, 97% federal cases adjudicated by plea deals, 94% of state cases. Uh, as I said, uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy saying that the myth, the myth of, the, of the right to a fair trial is not even happening. Judges don't even get to see evidence or hear witnesses. When we know this is the system that we're existing in nationwide, I'm shocked to see so many black folks who are educated who are living middle class, who are living comfortably, who are saying, oh, my record is clean, so I wouldn't be in that situation in the first place. When we report on this program year after year, every single week, thousands of cases, untold cases of people who never did anything, but they well, had a police officer that wrote up a report, and there was no stopping it from there. It went all the way through to wrecking their life. I just can't oh, I'm not saying, and to be fair, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. It happened to me when I was uh, 30, 
31 years old. I was living out in Farmington Hills. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with this area, it's about, mm, what, 15 to 20 miles northwest of Detroit. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was on uh, the freeway coming back towards the city. I had my girlfriend's little two-year-old baby in the back. It was around this time of year, around in January. I was driving, a, at that time, it was a 91 Toyota Celica, bright red two-door sports car. <laughs> and this white female police officer from Farmington pulled me over on the auspices that I was speeding. I was not. She called for backup because, you know, in the suburbs, mm -hmm. they ride one person to a car. Someone else, her partner rode up. She then asked me to search my car. This was long before I went to law school, so I didn't really know as much as I know now about my constitutional and Fourth Amendment rights. But I let her go ahead and search the car. And I was moving at that time, moving back to the city. So my car was loaded down with you know, stuff from my apartment mm -hmm. and stereo speakers in the trunk. They went through that entire car, opened the trunk, took the speakers out, searched every compartment in that vehicle right. looking for drugs. Why? Because I was a young black man. They, I, I'd ask could I bring that little two-year-old baby out and put it in, take her in the police car with me so she could stay warm. Right. Nope. They made that baby sit in that booster seat in that back in the wow. middle of January with that car off. I wound up going to court three times. The officer didn't show up. The case got dismissed. They reissued the speeding, quote, speeding ticket again. Um, that case finally got dismissed. Jessica Cooper, who is now the Oakland County prosecutor, apologized to me for the conduct of those officers, and she knew it was profiling even before we had a term for it. So I'm I'm not saying that I'm well, oblivious to that going on out there. It's happened to me. I can but, tell you when it began in Detroit. See, I'm a researcher. And in age <coughs> Google, that's like being a winer with a vineyard. So I, it's easy for me to find out what is the source. So question, why were there two miles of black people waiting to pay tickets out in Detroit? Answer, in July... Michigan State Police issued 314 tickets, 202 warnings on I-275 in just eight hours and say, we're coming back every week. Hundreds of drivers were stopped and ticketed along I-275, what police say was a special effort to crack down on speeding and other reckless driving. Michigan State Police say the special enforcement happened on Thursday near the eight-mile road exit in the city of Livonia. Police specifically targeted this area after receiving numerous complaints of high-speed and aggressive driving. During the eight-hour period, more than a dozen motorcycle troopers detained a total of 300 drivers, including 314 tickets for speeding, PWs, and other moving offenses. Troopers also issued 202 verbal warnings and made five arrests. Police said motorists who drive I-275 should get used to seeing more officers on the road. Lieutenant Mike Shaw said troopers plan to carry out similar efforts every week on a different section of the freeway. Shaw said ticketed drivers is not about making money, but about enforcing the proper traffic laws that keep all motorists safe. And uh, my, my response to that, though, but that's nowhere near Detroit. And you're, you're probably, I would submit to you that you're probably only going to get at most 30% of the drivers driving down 275 in that stretch are black. That's on the borders of Livonia and Northville and Novi that you're talking about out there. Um, and to the state police's credit, 
that stretch of freeway, it, it's easy to do. I do about 80 miles an hour down that stretch. That's an open, open road. Um, only three exits between I ninety six. You're yourself. Watch out. <laughs> hey, but the, hey, but the point being I, that I they know how to generate revenue. The point being that they know how to but see this is this is why I say on my program that people need to develop battlefield awareness, battlefield skills to become codified so that they don't become victims. Sometimes I get I get where you're coming from. Sometimes we do do stupid things and make ourselves victims. Look, there's plenty of court dates that I didn't miss and ended up in jail because I got stopped out there driving with no license and whatnot. Had to pay the $200 to have my license. I didn't done all that. Okay, I think what you're saying is, is that, you know, here you have a so-called amnesty or whatever, and, and you don't have to pay all the late fees and whatnot, and you got some people outside complaining about it. Okay, I get where you're coming. Like you guys were saying. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I get where, where you're coming from on that. But what we're saying is in, in, in what we report on in terms of patterns and practices, you know, it probably was probable that a large number of those people were targeted. Not all of them, but a number of them probably were targeted. Well, I'll address that in a second. But now think about what. Well, we don't have a whole lot of time. We got another program coming up and and we got to. uh, But let me ask you this, though, before you go, before you go, you an attorney, right? Yep. Let me ask you this question. Has slavery been abolished in this country? That's, you know, that's a topic for a whole nother. It, it's a simple yes or no. On, bro. It's, a, it's a yes, yes or no or question, no. bro. Come on, bro. <laughs> you know, I would actually say there's more mental slavery now than it is physical. Okay. I would say we as a black people, our thinking is enslaved okay from a, practical, from a practical legislative standpoint though just that's what i'm asking from a constitutional right. standpoint okay. that's why i asked you if you were a right. lawyer based on the law now, okay now, now I, i'll try to approach that from very quickly i would say no to that especially in michigan and here's why i i, I answered that on facebook detroit still has about seven seven hundred thousand black people who almost every last one of them are Democratic. If all Detroiters came out and voted, the gubernatorial mansion would never be Republican. It would always be filled with an individual who would, in essence, be responsive, if not cater to our needs. We just don't go vote. Do you ever think well, well, let, well, bro, that's not, I understand what you're saying. Um, but we don't, I don't, just early on the program, ain't no difference between Democrats and Republicans when it comes to these issues, all right? They, if you really look at their records, they, they work in a bipartisan fashion to practice slavery, all right? But let me just read this text to you. Let me read this text. Now, you tell me from this text, from a legal standpoint, if slavery has been abolished, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Does that text of that, what I just read to you, does it abolish slavery or not? 
neither neither slavery nor involuntary servitude. That's what's from the 14th Amendment. 13th, 13th Amendment. Amendment. Third, 13th, that's the 13th Amendment you're reading. Okay. Um, Let me read it again one more time. Let read, me read, read it. it one more time. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. As a pun- except for as a punishment for crime. So your your argument is that prison is a form of slavery. That's not my argument. I, that's I'm reading to you what it says. What does that say? Has does that Well, on its on its face, I would agree with you that there is an exception for slavery. Thank you. That's all I wanted to hear. Okay. Right on, okay. brother. You can't have an abolition <laughs> and an exception to it at the same time because that negates the other. Uh, just to give you some information that you can carry with you as, as you go, uh, regarding Michigan, we've done Michigan is Ferguson, so I'm very familiar with the statistics of what's going on in a large scale of things. In Michigan, you only have a 14.3% black population. You have an 81% white population. But in rates of incarceration, blacks are arrested uh, 2,262 per 100,000 versus whites. 412 per 100,000. That is a huge difference. And if anybody was to look at that, they would have to think that blacks are being hunted in Michigan. You can't have that small of a population, of the total state population, be incarcerated on such a large scale. They make up the brunt, uh, the majority. Well, guys, we're running out of time, and the Lotus Place is coming on after us. And we do have another caller, but I want I want to thank you, Cliff, for calling in and sharing your yes, views. I you, and I hope I really enjoyed welcome, both of y'all, really did. And I hope you become a brother. And I hope I hope that you become a regular listener. We're on every Wednesday night at eight o'clock p.m. and we got about four years worth of archives on new uh, BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. But you know, stay tuned, bro. We love having these conversations. We ain't all got to see Absolutely. eye to eye, but Absolutely. if we through dialogue, I you all as well. All right, you have a Listen, good night. You guys have a safe and happy New Year. All right. All right. All right. Thanks, bro. So let's. All right. Hey, Scotty, here's the plan, bro. Here's the plan. Because we got another call, and we're expecting Joseph to call in, and we still got one more story to do. Let's hold on to the Ferguson, uh, the uh, Ohio Ferguson. Tell him. Okay. I can publish it today on our new abolitionist radio website, and you can already view it on the Move to Abolish 21st Century Slavery and Human Trafficking page. So we'll just hold it up till next week. Got to give us a few extra minutes. Okay. 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 Let's go to this caller, area code 206. Uh, thank you for calling in the New Abolitionist Radio. Go ahead with your question or comment. Yes, Mr. Scotty Reed, Mr. Max Parthis. This is Mr. Joseph Tigot calling back from last week. Hey, Mr. Joseph. John Coolidge is here. Yeah, my name is Peace, Joseph. brother. Yeah. Thank you for hey, coming so back. Welcome to the program, man. Uh, yeah, we've been looking forward to getting you on here to hear this story for some time now. And as Scotty had mentioned, and, and as you noticed, that we've had to cut some things out in order to make some time. So we want to try to get as much of it out. It, it, uh, it's a detailed circumstance, but from what you've been telling me is that basically the entire government is null and void at this point. And, uh, hey, I mean, guys. Literally. Yeah. Guys, let's do this. Let's do it this way. Okay. 
Let's do it this way. Let's go ahead and do our abolitionist profile reader of the, un, uh, excuse me, writer of the right. 21st century underground. And the rest of the time we will uh, give to Joseph. How's that sound? Uh, fine with so me. Are you able to hold on for about 10 more minutes? Yeah. Okay. okay. It, it shouldn't take us 10 minutes to, to, to do this, but... Um, Let's go ahead and do the abolitionist uh, profile, our abolitionist uh, in profile. Go ahead, Max. Oh, you want to do the writer first? Yeah, we usually do writer and then abolitionist. Okay, go ahead. Okay, uh, let me pull up this page from Clarence L. Uh, Clarence Moses L. L. Yeah. Right, Clarence Moses L. I know last week you wanted to get this one in, uh, and this week we have it. Our computer's a little slow loading, so bear with me while I pull it up. And Johanna, if you want to pull up the the uh, abolitionist in profile in the meantime, so you have that. Ready? Well, no, I got an audio. I got the audio. I pre-recorded okay. the abolitionist profile. I'm gonna try to do that every week if I, you okay. know, can do it in time. So, yeah. All right. Today's writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Clarence Moses L. Released after 28 years in prison. The temperature outside the jail was five degrees above freezing, and Clarence Moses L. took his first breath of fresh air. But after several, after several decades in prison, for a brutal crime, he says he did not commit, Moses L. could breathe easier in the brisk air than he had in 28 years. It's the moment of my, of my life right now, Moses L. said. I feel great right now. Moses L., who was granted a new trial after serving more than a half of a 48-year sentence, was released from custody Tuesday for the first time in decades, arm in arm with his wife, Moses L., who has maintained his innocence since his arrest, walked out of the downtown Denver jail surrounded by his family. Earlier in the day, Denver District Judge Candace Gerd set a $50,000 bail for Moses L., who was convicted of the 1987 sexual assault of a woman in Denver, Five Points neighborhood. The woman had been beaten, dragged, and raped, she told police. There were six bone fractures in her face, and she had lost vision in one eye. On December 14th, Gertie's vacated Moselle convictions and granted him a new trial. Newly discovered evidence uh, and evidence previously admitted in the case is sufficient on salient points to allow a jury to probably return a verdict of acquittal in favor of the defendant, Gertie wrote in her order. Wearing a suit his attorneys had carried into the courthouse that morning, a smiling Moses L. wrapped his arm around a grandson he had just met and one of his attorneys. I just want to get home with my family, Moses L. said. I'm just so glad to be home. Moses L.'s family was working on a special dinner order, pizza topped with chopped shrimp, steak, and lots of cheese. The Denver District Attorney's Office on Tuesday said, I'll ask to have a new trial date set out of an abundance of caution. Although the office has not decided whether to retry Moses L., the DA's office does not have a deadline to decide whether it will retry the case. The trial was set to begin May 16th. The motions hearings were scheduled for February 25th. Moses L. faced three felony counts, including sex assault and second-degree burglary. We here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you, Moses L. Salute. You are not free. You got on bail, but at least you got a chance for freedom. So, Way to go, man. And convicted over a damn dream. That's a dream. A dream, man. That's why I had chose that story, man. Can you, I mean, I shouldn't say can you believe it because as long as I've been doing doing this program, there's not too much I can't believe. But that was a first for me. 
convicted because she dreamed that he did it. Wow. What kind of evidence is that? How did they even, I wonder if the jury heard that. What kind of juror will convict somebody because a woman said, I dreamed this dude? Now, let's make no mistake. She was a victim. She was beaten and she was raped. But for but for these people to say that she had a dream and that's what you go and you arrest this person over. What, how did you even present that to the jury? She drink. She couldn't pick them out of a lineup, but she had a dream. Come on, well, man. Unlike, unlike Samir Rice, he was a ham sandwich. Exactly. Yes, exactly. They can indict somebody right. on a dream. Man, give me a break. Abolitionist well, profile. <laughs> abolitionist in profile. Um, our abolitionist in profile is John Rankin, uh, born in 1783, and he died in 1886, and he was born in Jefferson County, Tennessee, and most likely of Scot-Irish descent. After attending the local district school, he attended Washington College at Jonesboro. On January 12, 1814, he married Jean Laurie, and together they created a family that included nine sons and four daughters, all who lived to have families of their own. In 1816, Rankin was licensed to preach by the Presbyterian of Arlington, Virginia. He preached in Jefferson County Presbyterian Church and spent four years in Concord in Cane Ridge, Kentucky. In 1822, Reverend Rankin accepted a call from the Presbyterian Church at Ripley, Ohio. It was here that the famous abolition letters were written. As an abolitionist, Rankin realized his work in the Underground Railroad needed a more advantageous location. His home on Front Street was too accessible to enslavers seeking to reclaim their victims. He chose a spot on a high hill overlooking the village of Ripley, the Ohio River, and it had a full view of the Kentucky shoreline. The family moved into what became the Rankin House in 1828. Reverend Rankin also helped establish churches in Cedron, Felicity, Buford, Sardinia, Huntington, in Russellville, Decatur, and Winchester, Ohio. He was also the first president of the Ripley College. John Rankin died on March 12, 1886, and he is buried in Ripley's Maplewood Cemetery. New Abolitionist Radio salutes Abolitionist John Rankin. Salute. Salute. Indeed. Uh, Scott, you thought you was related to that, brother, for a moment. <laughs> it, it, uh, well, it is a possibility that I am because, um, you know, like I've had said to people on Facebook or really I was sharing information with my family members that don't live around here. But we're descendants of, uh, of the Rankin family that settled in this area in the 1700s. One of them, well, two of them, one of them, he was a, he didn't fight in the American Revolution, but he uh, provided supplies and money 
and, and whatnot for the American Revolution. And one of his sons was uh, actually, um, I think he was a captain, but he he was uh, he actually fought in the American Revolution. Now there weren't aren't two. I just don't imagine that there was a whole bunch of Rankins running around here in in the 1700s. And with him being born in Tennessee, North Carolina actually uh, shares a border with Tennessee. So it, there's a possibility. And I was also mystified as why did I find him in an African-American registry when he's of Scott-Irish uh, uh, descent. Right. So that's that's what I was questioning, you know, whether or not, um, you know, he might be related to the rankings here in North Carolina from uh, which I'm a descendant of. Now, you said you had more information um, I didn't I didn't read that because it wasn't on that page in the African-American registry. But what was that additional information that you have found? Oh, well, it was just really a quote about the abolitionist uh, movement and the abolishment of slavery as they knew it at that time. Um, at one point, Henry Ward Beecher was asked after the end of the Civil War, who abolished slavery? And he answered, Reverend John Rankin and his sons did. So they gave a lot of credit to what they had accomplished at that time to John Rankin. That's how important. Yeah, it was but of course we, of course we know slavery was never abolished. Right, they deceived that whole generation. Yes, they did. Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass is the only one I found so far who was not deceived. And it took him 30 years of traveling across North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. To see with his own eyes what really had happened. Uh, so the rest of the time, uh, uh, we'll go ahead and give that to uh, our our guest speaker who's on the line now, Joseph. If you, um, whichever one of you guys want to lead us into that conversation. Well, I, I'll let Joseph do it because I'm uh, not in complete understanding of everything that's going on right here, right now. So he can probably relate it much better. Joseph, please tell us what it is you're you're uh, involved in and what you're trying to accomplish. Well, I like to explain myself to the public and who I am and what I do in order for the world to understand that I work for them. I work for them because of the interest of the public that the government and or the state of Washington, the government, the U.S. government, are involved in human trafficking. And I caught them stealing people in this private jail where they took me. And so, since I'm a private U.S. Attorney General, if I sue someone in that fashion, I would have to represent everybody. If I just sued the government in my name only, I can only represent myself. But since I caught them stealing people, and they're doing it every day, and, and, and you won't be able to see that they're stealing the people unless you're locked up with them. And when you're locked up with them, you're locked up 23 out of the 24 hours a day. And they might not let you out. But anyway, that's what makes me a private U.S. Attorney General, and I work for the world. And right now I'm fighting the British because everything we're fighting, we keep talking about the killing. Everything we're doing is, everything we're fighting is the Queen of England and the Pope. And the Pope. This is, this is really the continuation of the Crusades. The people don't really know much about the Crusades because they're asleep. So all I want to say to most people, like, you know, I talked to you, Mr. Mr. Prophet, about this score jail where they locked me up. 
a federal judge. Uh, your volume went down, Joseph. And also, we're getting a lot of feedback off of somebody's line. It sounds like you're typing or whatnot, and that's kind of like messing up the audio. But, Joseph, your line, your voice just went really low. I don't know what happened. Uh, right. I'm using my wife's phone. Hopefully it's up now. Is it up? Okay, go ahead. Yes. So, anyway, I want to tell people about the state of Washington. They're stealing people, and they have people thinking that they're all innocent in King County. King County is um, named after Martin Luther King, and they have a statue of Martin. Well, not a statue, but the, um, how can I say, the logo of Martin Luther King all over. So you think this place is beautiful, but behind the scenes, there's another world of human trafficking. And right now I have paperwork I just served to Daniel T. Satterberg. He's, a, he's the prosecutor for King County. He's involved in stealing all the people. King County is controlling all these, these jails and stuff. And so and when you're locked up, you can't do anything. And they are stealing people so hard. But what I want to say to the world is what they're doing in score jail is DOC, DOC arrests you. Then they, they book you into this private jail. They keep you inside these private cells. They make it, they tell you it's a jail, but all the, all the time I know that it's a, somebody's home, but it looks like a jail. They have video cameras. So it's not right. But anyway, DOC is holding people and not giving them the right to go before a judge within 48 hours. And they're depriving you the right to have counsel to defend you. And so, EOC is treating people like they have exclusive rights to hear everything and send you back to prison. But they have no authority to send anybody back to prison because the three branches of government, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial, and only a judge can give an arrest warrant, not no DOC officer. And they're writing warrants at DOC like they're judges. And I caught them, and I'm going to kick their ass. Right now, I'm asking. Uh, for all of their bonds, for the whole state, because they can't work for anybody. They're illegal. So Daniel T. Satterberg, I hope you hear this. I'm coming to get your ass, stealing people, doing all these courts. I'm not playing. I'm mad. Killing our kids. So anyway, Mr. Parsister, I hope you uh, can say anything if you want. What really, uh, Got me going about your story. Pardon me if I sound a little off. I'm trying to keep my plug working on my phone. Can you hear me clearly enough? Yeah, I just took you off okay. speakerphone. Yeah, what, what okay. uh, got me about your story is that uh, you're attacking the bonds of, of these officials and challenging the entire system as a whole uh, in doing Correct. so. And apparently you were saying that because of the way things are set up, they can't operate without their bonds. Like literally, they would have to shut down. And if you became in control of these bonds. And your back history is intriguing as well, being a self made millionaire at one point who was targeted by the police. And basically, they took everything that you had, literally robbed you blind, forcing you to start all right. over again and, putting, and incarcerating you. And then after finding out what your capabilities are on a legal aspect, they started targeting you, but didn't realize that you would be fighting back and fighting back in a way that is much 
bigger than they had ever expected before. So again, you're at a point now where from what you're telling me, the challenge in the bonds not only of King's County, but of the, of the United States of America, period, all the way up into the president and the Congress in Washington. And that's how far that this case is going. Am I right so far? That's correct. That's correct. Okay. Mm. Yes, President Obama is aware of it. I got rid of John Boehner. People don't know why John Boehner quit, but he knows. Everybody knows in in the circle. The guy that did that, this gentleman just told you he's the reason John Boehner had to quit. Yeah, um, we do have our final comments. I do want to thank you, Joseph, for calling in and, and sharing your story uh, with us. But we're real short on time and we got to wrap it up. And did you have uh, any final comments? How can people connect with you? Yes, I'd like for people to know that they can connect with me on my blog. Uh, Mr. Prophet, you might be able to express that after the fact. But my oh, blog mean, is called Private Age. Yes, but my blog is where all of the information is at that can show people the videos of what SCORE is doing or the state of Washington and the United States government. And what's your the blog again? Private AG, Private Attorney General Tigot. The last name is Tigot, P, like a pig, I-G-O-T-T dot blogspot.com. So that's Private Attorney General or Private AG Pigot? dot blogspot dot com. That's correct. AG. Okay. The, the, the Attorney General is short, you know. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for sharing with us, man. We hope that you will stay tuned in to New Abolitionist Radio and keep spreading the abolitionist uh, message. Peace to you. All right. Love you guys. Peace, Peace to you. Respect to all. Stand strong. Joseph, we ain't got to get trusting, brother. We're going to follow through with this and we're going to see this happen. And Q&A Q is clear. We actually get accomplished, so I'm going to be talking more about it and bringing other people into it. The conversation. But we're at the end of our program. Uh, we apologize for not being able to do our Ferguson of America series this week and missing the story, but you can find that stuff on the Abolitionist Radio. Next week, we'll go into detail on Ohio. It is one of the few states in all my research that has uh, really surprised me at the level of uh, demonic terrorism and, and everything that's going on there. It is, it is a killing field, and the corruption is uh, at its highest level. So next week, we're going to talk about Ohio. Uh, final statements for the evening, Douglas? Well, I'll go. <clears throat> I just want to say thank you to uh, to our calling guests. Um, and just for my folks, we do definitely welcome, uh, you know, healthy uh, discussion and debate. I mean, it doesn't have to just be Max, Scotty, and myself week in, week out, just reporting the news and giving our thoughts. Look, I find every day that there's all kind of people out here of all types of professions and walks of life, faith. Uh, economic differences, education differences, what have you. People have their perspective and have their take on what's going on. What I like to do is measure everything against modern-day slavery and see how it shakes out if you add a little abolitionism to whatever you think your problem is and see if we can fix it with that. Uh, seems like from our discussion tonight, we might have got another brother awake to the situation, so thank you, Cliff, for coming on. Welcome to the revolution. If you're strong enough to, to handle it, peace to the abolitionists, death to the oppressors. Yeah, my final comments would be, um, I'm, I'm just going to quote Malcolm X, and, and I, I just want to say I'm, I'm happy to hear that Cliff got it, that he, he was able to figure out that there's an exception clause 
in that 13th Amendment, which they are been telling people for hundreds of years, over 150 years, well, we'll say over 149 years, that the United States abolished slavery. Look, that 13th Amendment isn't, isn't even grammatically correct for you to say that we abolish slavery because you can't abolish something and then make an exception for it because then that means you're still practicing it in some form or fashion. Um, I had Sister Rona. Sister Rona, you out there listening. You uh, posted on my Facebook today. You thank me for pointing you to the documentary Slavery by Another Name. So I will point Cliff and everybody else who thinks that slavery uh, was abolished uh, to look at that documentary. It was never abolished. The 13th Amendment makes that clear to me. But I'm not looking down or anyone or criticizing anyone because most people have never read the 13th Amendment the way they hide it from us. It was only five years ago that I read the 13th Amendment and that bulb went off in my head. And Malcolm X said, don't be so critical of people who don't know what you know because at one time you didn't know what you know now. All right. So. We're just trying to present the facts to people and hope that they will look at it objectively. And we hope that you will come to the same conclusion that we have come to. And that is slavery has never been abolished in this country. And we need to be focused on ending slavery once and for all in all its forms. And like, like Johannes said, peace to the abolitionist, death to the oppressor. I just, uh, since time is literally running out right now, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has been hanging in here with us year after year, week after week. This is our last program of 2015. The next time we talk, it'll be 2016. And in 2016, we plan on ending this once and for all. Because we understand something, that abolition is the reason for a revolution, so we can finally make some peace. Peace. Mm -hmm.